Welcome back to Living More of a Life, the podcast which raises awareness of issues which stop us living more of a life. I'm your host, Jane Tarrant, and today I've got with me Beth Hope. The majority of people have some form of trauma. We discuss dealing with trauma far down the line, following repression. Beth's story is highly personal. You may relate to all of it, some of it, or very little of it. But with the majority of us having some form of trauma, it's important for us to hear. It's also very likely that you know someone who is going through something like this or has been through something like this. I'd like to point out that I met Beth at a party and there was no part of her personality that gave away that she had been through something on this scale. A couple of years ago, back in 2017, I kind of had to really come uh, face to face with uh, the past and some trauma that I went through um, and kind of finally, finally face that. And that was, I guess, a very big process and made me really realize how how I hadn't, hadn't been kind to myself for so long. Um, and really very, very negative self-talk, very destructive. Um, and I hadn't connected at all with any of that, really, and was in repression for a long time. So, yeah, during 2017, I kind of completely reworked my mindset, built my core um, from somewhere that was quite broken to just a very strong, resilient core of confidence and glowing, glowing sunshine is kind of how I visualize it inside um and and built up my authentic confidence you know went for what I wanted I then started my business at the end of 2017 um, I'm an executive confidence coach so helping people to rework that mindset build authentic confidence and create the life and the balance that they want because you know it's it's amazing how how confidence really does underlie everything we do. It's kind of the deepest foundations and it shows up in how we show up in our relationships, our work, whether we kind of challenge ourselves to maybe push ourselves to go for things that we're not quite sure if we can see, you know, succeed in, um, lean into fear of doing something, lean into challenges rather than think that confidence is the absence of that. Um, it's kind of knowing that you can face these things, ride the waves of life rather than, you know, either being overwhelmed by them or um, trying to control the sea, so to speak. That's really interesting. And have you found that by working in a space where you can help others, it's actually helped you progress even further? Yeah, I think it's I think it is one of those things, because, you know, when I'm working with my clients, I, you know, with coaching, it's very much around your client-led. You know, I'm reflecting back what they're saying, reframing it, you know, holding a mirror up and and their guide. I'm not telling them what to do or giving advice or anything like that. That's not coaching. Um, and I think, you know, but if we do tips and tricks or anything like that or little homework challenges to try all of the mental work and creative techniques, they're all things that I've done on myself and that I keep doing on myself because I think the whole you know the point of all of this is we all have mental health just the same as we all have physical health and what I help people with is mental fitness and so it's doing those you know small things consistently you know mentally working out every day if you like uh, to build up 
that that stamina and and knowing that you still get mentally out of breath and you know things are challenging things are hard we can't control life we can only control ourselves and our mindset and how we react to things and it's okay to get out of breath it's okay to to have an injury sometimes it's how we work through that and how we how we shorten that recovery period how we get even stronger even fitter more open more honest vulnerable and all of these amazing things to show up and be like this is who I am I love myself whatever the weather and now I can also help others amazing amazing and so I mean, you've had a specific type of trauma as well that you've come through to get to this point. So, um, you know, on this podcast, we've tried to be open and honest about things in the past as, as, as far as you feel comfortable to do so. But can you tell us a little bit about what happened to you that actually meant that you had to then do that work in 2017? Yeah. So um, about yeah 10 years ago now. When I was younger, uh, I was sexually assaulted and I prefer assault to other terms because other words are quite triggering for me um and kind of I guess six months after that I was in complete denial my brain didn't know let me know that it had happened kind of immediately I remember the moment when I when I flipped actually and I went into denial and just pushed everything down and then after about six months or so um when I started university that I kind of had an experience where I, I remembered it and that denial switched off and, and then I went into seven years of repression where I knew it had happened but I like I, I wasn't connected really with it or ready to face it or anything like that um, and that kind of the repression cycle is you know my brain would I guess now looking back at it I see it kind of like a hoover where it would hoover up and swallow and push down the things that were related to the assault um, or triggers and things like that, and it would hoover and push them down. But then it sort of lost track of what was and what wasn't related, and so would then just start to hoover up anything that would make me feel sad or anything like that and just started to, to take more and more to the point where it was taking things that would even make me happy necessarily so it was kind of just that automatic process that I I wasn't in control anymore um just hoovering up all of these things which meant you know I didn't really I compromised a lot in a lot of areas and couldn't really feel what I really wanted at my core anymore because that was all being hoovered up and pushed down and Sometimes it would bubble up and I'd have like a, you know, a breakdown and then be like, okay, right now I'm fine again. And it would go back to the same endless process. But yeah, that was a complete interesting thing that I just being in it couldn't control it at the time. And for people around you, those who sort of loved you and knew you, could they see what you were going through or was it completely Uh, hidden from them? I would say it was probably completely hidden. And I think... You know, I mean, I, yeah, I didn't really tell many people about the the assault and stuff. Um, did you tell anyone? To, yes, I did. When I finally came out of denial into repression, you know, there was one or two people at university that I had told, um, and I told my sister and my mom, 
uh, a while after, I think in my first year still, but in a way that it was like, that it wasn't, it was telling them, but it wasn't really telling them. And it was like, it's not something, you know, like it's fine. I don't want to talk about it kind of thing. We just carry on, you know, carry on with stuff. And it wasn't, I couldn't face into it then. Um, you know, and I was fine and happy on everything on the outside. And I felt good, I guess, on the inside. But it's still that weird thing of looking back. I can, I know that I wasn't happy, but it was just like there were so many of me's detached from each other. Yeah. That it's kind of trying to, to pull all of that together to solidify myself again, I guess. Yeah. When the assault happened, you were away from home, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. So- wouldn't necessarily go too much into that you know I'm very I think it's one of those things of I would never want to get to a point where he would be identifiable or anything like that of course um but yeah no I was I wasn't in England um did that make it harder because there was no one to instantly turn to that you that you had in your kind of trusted circle yes I guess I genuinely I have no idea how I how it would have been if it had been in England and if there had been people that I knew well um that were there I yeah genuinely have no idea but I think it's just one of those things of in that moment and immediately after I remember very clearly and I have never said this especially not in this forum that yeah I've had this conversation with my partner but apart from that no one else and I remember after it happened that when I was there I thought in my head I was like I need to go tell someone like I need to go do something and then another voice in my head which was kind of the really harsh critic inner critic if you will just said no one's gonna believe you and it was that moment that it was like, bing, okay, denial, push down, like, wow, no. And it was that that moment was so clear for me. And is that something you found in other people that you've spoken to who have gone through similar things? Um, I wouldn't want to speak about anyone else's experiences, I guess, because, yeah. you know, I know these things are deeply personal to to them. And I don't know if I'd feel comfortable about other people um, kind of saying my second experiences. So... Yeah, to be honest, I don't know. But I think in all of us, whether it's trauma or whether it's, you know, everyday life, that inner critic in our head can be very, very destructive and they should be constructive. And that's, you know, that's the mental work I did in 2017 was was rebalancing that and facing into that and making my inner critic, who I have called Gertrude, um, (laughs) into... uh, she you know she's now she's now constructive and and helpful as an inner critic should be because you know negativity isn't necessarily something to be avoided or or you know because I think that's that can very easily cross that line into repression and denial which you know obviously coming from the past is something I never want to go back to. Am I right Um, in thinking that the inner critic is meant to be there to protect us? Yeah, like if you look evolutionarily, I guess that, you know, that that kind of slightly negative bias is so that we can, you know, stumble out our cave, look around, and then it will instantly pick up the things that aren't right in the environment in case it's, you know, we're about to be eaten by a tiger, that kind of thing. But the problem is, is that over time when we don't have those same evolutionary issues necessarily, 
is that that can twist on noticing everything negative about ourselves and amplifying them and seeing them, you know, you're worthless, you did this wrong, you said this, how could you, like, that anxiety that builds up and that, that spiral that we go through, rather than thinking, like, okay, maybe this could have been said better, or maybe, you know, let's, in a presentation, like, let's slightly change something for next time, let's learn, let's grow, it's not failing, it's learning and it's growing and it's and reiterating and becoming an even better person, because that's the whole of life right like we're never Absolutely. we're never fully done uh life is we'd have nothing to do otherwise would we? <laughs> it'd be boring as hell but so yeah. so taking it back to this particular inner critic concept so mm-hmm. you know I would say that the majority of people have some form of trauma yeah, yeah. um it, probably everybody if you take it right back to actual childhood even if it's a very small thing but I think you know, we experience it at different times, at different levels and in different ways. So, for example, um, a childhood trauma may not affect uh, your future sex life, whereas obviously a physical trauma with somebody might do and things like that. Um, But when we're looking at this kind of this negative side of us and our our self-critic, I'm assuming that actually being aware of it is a first step. So if, if somebody's saying, hang on, yes, I often say, oh, you're so stupid, or oh, no one would ever believe you on that, there's no way you get that promotion, whatever it is that they come out with to themselves, anything yeah. that actually isn't kind, and if they heard somebody else saying it to somebody else, that they would actually pique their interest and think, that's not very nice. Well, then, even if we we would never speak to our best friend or even our worst enemy the way that we sometimes speak to ourselves in our head. Absolutely. So if somebody recognizes that now, having listened to this, mm-hmm. what could be their next step that could start to address? They might not realize why they're doing it. They might not even know what the trauma is, for example, or they might have suppressed it. So mm-hmm. what's their next step potentially to think about how they could start to come out of this negative space that they've got in through either what somebody's done to them or what they've done to themselves yeah and I you know and I think maybe it's not even you know it doesn't necessarily have to be related to trauma it's just it's you know if we look at society or ourselves or the pressures that we put on ourselves or others put on us um you know to be certain ways look certain ways have certain careers do certain things you know all of these kind of stuff they they can build up so definitely the first point is tune in and actively start to listen and you might be surprised about actually how much of a behavior change that causes in itself just being aware because the the issue is is because our inner critic is internal it's the voice in our head that we kind of take that as ourselves and as fact and we never really listen to it very consciously or challenge it at all you know it's oh yeah I'm worthless and I'm stupid sure of course, you know, and then you continue into your day and you never you never go, wait, hold on a minute. Uh, let's actually look at the evidence. And that's the next step. So once you start to tune in to this inner critic, start to notice the key patterns that are coming out. You know, are there certain situations where that voice gets louder or harsher? Is it um, doing certain tasks? Is it, you know, whatever it may be, are they saying, are they coming back to the key themes of, for example, with me, it's a lot around worthlessness um, and, you know, stupid and fat and awful and all of these things that are just not needed nor helpful nor necessarily a bad thing anyway 
um, you know, and again, filled with a lot of, of construct that, that's been put upon us. So start to gather those key themes. Then what you can do is write down at the top of a piece of paper your, your negative thought, your key pattern. Um, so, I don't know, for example, um, I am unloved and an awful human being, which is probably very close to one of the ones I used to write years ago. Then you put a for and against column. And this is like judge and jury of your own thoughts. And the for column is for evidence that supports your negative statement. And the against column is for evidence that disproves it. And the key with this is looking at evidence, not your feelings, because feelings are not fact. And a lot of these things come from such a a kind of complicated, emotionally charged ball that's built up over a long period of time that, you know, oh, I, I feel worthless, I feel unloved. You know, they're very big things to unpick if we just stay in that sphere. So we're looking at evidence externally. So, for example, you could write down uh, my friend Jane texted me the other day saying, thank you so much. You are a wonderful human. So, you know, write that down. Or um, I went to the shops and um, said thank you to the cashier and they, they smiled and said thank you back. You know, all of these little things showing the evidence externally that is logical, that is cold, hard fact. And then at the end, when you've done your two columns and challenge yourself. You know, push it further, push it further. And I guarantee that the against column will be a lot longer than the for column. Is something like because I because my parents told me so or because my, you know, somebody at school tells me every day that I'm useless or whatever. Is that yeah. seen as a fact on these things? If somebody writes that in the fact or do we shall we already discount that and say because somebody told you it does not make it true? But I think by seeing that those words on the paper, of because some person at school told me I was useless every day. And then you read it back and you think, would you accept that from anyone else? Like if your best friend came to you or your husband or whatever, your partner came to you and said, I know I'm worthless because at school, one child told me I was worthless. You know, if they came to you and said that, you'd be like, no, of course not. Like, listen, where are you giving that? Where's the logic? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and we've got to take take all of these things into account. So, yeah, write them down and, and look at them and digest them and then rebalance. And this is the key. You need to rebalance the thought. So then you take into account all the evidence and go, sometimes I may feel down about myself and not good enough but I know I am surrounded by people that love me and value me just as I do them and that I can always turn to them and communicate that when I'm feeling in those that space you know something like that so it's it makes it a little more neutral yeah to to positive and kind of also gives you that action step but I think it's it is one of those things if we all we can control is ourselves, and we give power to other people's words so if someone comes to you and says, you are useless, you're not worth it, we can give that power if, you know, it depends on who they are, what we think of them, how we respect them, you know, and all of these different complicated factors that we need to take into account. But give yourself that moment 
to reflect, you know, is this their stuff that's showing up and they're trying to project onto me? Is this something that I need to reflect and maybe I said something not in quite the right way that hurt someone else and therefore, okay, how can I move forward and, and keep growing and learning and, and showing up for people in a more positive way? But we need to decide how we do that. And it's, you know, it's one of these common things of, for example, you know, you go and buy a new outfit or whatever and 99 people will be like, oh my God, you look amazing. That's such a great dress, la, 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 la. One person will be like, mm. Nah, I don't. I, I don't like it. I don't think it suits you. And you'll like never wear that again. <laughs> you know, and it's so it's it's about what we what we give power to, and just yeah. making sure we're doing that consciously. You just hope that one person is somebody you don't care about, rather than the person you really <laughs> put the value of opinion from. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. You know, if it's that person that that you know is is someone that has the best interests you know your best interests and all of that fine you know take these it's it's about what you're giving to it and that's why you need to take that time to reflect and do it consciously if you never wear that dress again okay fine do it consciously and and rather you know or trousers for the men out here exactly or or dresses if they fancy it (laughs) wear whatever you want but that's the thing is is you know it's, it's just making this whole process and this whole mindset, what's going on in your mind and the external, a little more present, a little more conscious and a little more mindful. Absolutely. And so if somebody's able to go, OK, I, I've recognized the thought and the, the thought pattern, I've recognized what I think are the sort of the for and against. Mm-hmm. Where do they go with that? Now they've got some form of something they yeah. can look at. And that rebalance thought. So I think then it's it's a constant process. And again, it's coming back to kind of this mental fitness of, of that mental workout is it is actually being tuned into that voice in your head. Or I wouldn't say all day, every day, because, you know, you also need a bit of space outside your own head sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, we're aiming for kind of 70, 80 percent of the time being able to tune in and pull yourself up on it because it is, you know, I've done a lot of this work and I still have to do this work because if something happens or you're going into a new situation or, you know, you that voice starts getting louder and, oh, my God, why did you say this? Why did you do that? Blah, 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 blah. Then it's that moment of stepping back and saying, wait, Gertrude's piping up a little too loud. She's becoming destructive rather than constructive. Let me take a step back. I hear the the common, the old patterns coming back again. I know that's not true. This is my rebalanced thought. Oh, let's go through it again. Okay, right, perfect. Jump back in and taking that time. But it is it is constant work, but it does get easier and it gets more automatic. You're just creating those new automatic thinking patterns. And that just takes a little time working out. And did you go through counselling? Did you have a life coach? Did you have any support externally or did you try to do this all on your own? No. So in um, in 2017, after uh, when I kind of everything came to a head and I had to face into things, I, I sat down, told my parents properly, told my dad, um, which was a, a really wonderful moment because that was like telling myself about the past. Um, and then my parents and my family have been so supportive in um, supporting me having CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which I had in London and it was lovely. So, um, you know, after every session I'd, I'd call my dad up and we'd talk it through. Um, 
because he's uh, very, I mean, trained and wonderful in this area anyway and written many amazing books um so he you know he understood all the kind of the homework and the the stuff that I had to do and we'd talk it through and he even would come up to London and go for coffee with me after sessions and stuff if I needed and we'll just we'll have that time so yeah CBT was really really helpful for me it was what I wanted I found the right therapist for me which I think is also really important um to make sure you you know take that time and and have calls or talks with someone and if someone's not right for you don't be afraid to end that and and find someone that is I have heard people that I know who've gone for some form of therapy and they've stopped going because they didn't click with the person they thought they were a bit useless and so that is actually really important to say try somebody else exactly it's you know it's like dating you wouldn't go on one date think well no that's not for me I'll just go and sit by myself forever even though I actually want a partner you know it's it's chemistry testing um, and that's also what I do with my clients I'll always have you know before taking on someone and before working together in a coaching sphere we'll always have at least a half an hour hour call beforehand talk things through make sure that I'm the right coach for them that you know we're the right fit for each other because you know how can you have groundbreaking fundamental deeply honest conversations if you're not in that trusting space you know and I think that's so important um so yeah I'm a big uh, CBT really worked for me I was very very engaged with it I I loved the homework and kind of feeling like I really had to do some hard work for it um that really resonated with me personally and I had a fantastic therapist so yeah I did that I did that for a little while um and then yeah stopped when when I was ready um and then since then yeah you know I'm obviously a a trained coach uh so I have uh, supervisor coaching to keep my continuous personal development up uh, professionally and um have an own coach that I check in with um occasionally so when you became a life coach did you did you find the coaching itself was helpful for you because it, it taught you how to ask yourself the questions as well as how you would help others so was it part of your was it part of your sort of um getting back on track should we say yeah no coaching coaching training was really good because so I uh I did my coaching qualification with the academy of executive coaching um and what I loved about their course is it's so much around who you are and how you coach so you have to do that you know, that deep personal work around, you can't just be like, oh, I just show up and listen to clients and maybe ask a question and, you know, yay, I'm a coach. No, it's actually, right, let's A, learn about the the theory, the fundamentals, the techniques, but also who am I and how does that show up in my coaching? So one of the assessments um, was, you know, we created our own coaching model and presented it and wrote an essay on it and really got to the fundamentals and the core of, who we are and then how that presents because you know one coach just like therapy you can't be a coach for everyone and it wouldn't be right to take on someone that you know doesn't connect in that way you wouldn't be serving them very well so you know you've really got to be quite clear on on who you do work well with and also challenge that but yeah keep evolving That brings us to the end of part one with Beth Hope and myself. In part two, we'll discuss how when you've been through a trauma, you are not alone 
Sometimes we need to be open about what we need from another person. And we discuss support groups for how they can help, but also how they can trigger. We need to be aware of our triggers. And also, for all of us, maybe we could think about the language of communication. For example, how are you? This can be extremely overwhelming for someone who's struggling. How are you today? Or how are you this morning? Could be a lot more manageable.